this last week, um, 10 of us uh, were um, part of a team that went to Southwest Detroit and, and worked with uh, a group of largely Hispanic um, children, uh, children and students uh, for a, uh, a vacation Bible school with the Military Avenue um, uh, Presbyterian Church. And um, it was a really great week. We, we um, ministered, I guess, to roughly about 100 um, children that were uh, uh, there throughout the week. And, and um, our team, it was nice because they just kind of <laughs> say, do this, do that. Um, and so they, they split us up among the different groups. And so we helped with either leading crafts or outdoor games or music or uh, teaching the Bible stories. And um, this last week, the Bible study, the, the, the stories uh, were the parables of Jesus. Um, and this last week, they were taken from the Gospel of Luke. Um, and so what I've done today is, is I, I've just chosen one of those parables that I taught um, uh, to the 10 through 15-year-olds um, on the third day. And this was uh, the rich man and Lazarus. The parables, uh, this particular parable isn't especially, um, you know, it's sobering. <laughs> it's sharp-edged. Uh, it, it's designed to help people wake up spiritually. And, um, and, and I'll say this too, um, there's no explicit uh, description of this story as a parable, but, but, um, and, and for that reason, um, and because he specifically names one of the, the characters in the, the uh, story as Lazarus, uh, some believe that Jesus is actually telling a, a non-fictional story, that this is uh, a real-life situation. Um, I choose to just take the safer route here in terms of biblical interpretation and, and see this as a parable. But, but nevertheless, it's a parable that, that packs um, a very uh, strong punch. The parable um, tells us this biblical truth, and, and that's what parables are. Parables are simple, simple stories that have a spiritual truth or a spiritual meaning that, um, uh, that is taught through it. And in this particular one, um, this story shows us that following death, people will end up in one of two places. It will either be heaven or hell. And it shows us that the time to choose our destiny is now. For once we die, once we pass on, it will be too late to choose. Would you stand then for the reading and hearing of the word of God? This is Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. 
and Lazarus in like, ma- like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, may the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, of holiness, illuminate our minds, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Help us to let go of the many cares of life as we worship. Renew our hearts, our minds, and our souls, that knowing your will, we may have the grace to faithfully do it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We begin with the story itself. And this story can be summarized as a story that's about two men with two destinies and then two prayers that flow from the rich man, okay? So two men, two destinies, and two prayers. The first uh, man that's described is the unnamed rich man. And what we know of him is that he lives in opulence, that he uses his wealth mainly for his own benefit. He dresses in purple, okay? This was an expensive dye, creating very expensive clothing, ordinarily only worn by extremely wealthy or royal individuals. So this man is living like a king. Even his undergarments, it describes that, you know, he's even dressed in fine linen in addition to these purple clothes, apparently describing his undergarments as being of the finest of fabric. He eats sumptuously every day. And then this little description of the gate where the poor man um, is laid, this, the, this term for gate is a term that would be used of the kind of gates at the front of a palace. So, we have the sense that he lives in this huge mansion, you know. And, and so what's described here uh, is a very wealthy individual. And then there's the poor, starving beggar. We know his name. His name is Lazarus. Now, um, this Lazarus shouldn't be confused with the, the, the Lazarus that Jesus will meet uh, later, in, or he maybe knows, but the Lazarus who dies later in the ministry of Jesus, who Jesus ultimately raises from the dead. That's a different Lazarus. Apparently, the name Lazarus was a, a, a common name in, the ancient, uh, in ancient Israel. Lazarus's name literally means God has helped or, or something like the one God helps. 
Lazarus um, is disabled. We're, we're told that he is laid at the gate. It appears he can't even walk for himself. He is malnourished, in very poor health. His body is covered with sores, and the dogs are even licking those sores, a, a detail that likely highlights not the, the curative powers of, of, uh, of dogs. We might think of that in, in today's terms, but in those days, that wasn't on their minds as far as health and medicine went. This is probably a description just to further the misery of this man. He hopes to receive some of the food, just the, the leftover food, um, the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. But the tenor of the parable is, this is a futile hope. The rich man just simply appears to have ignored uh, the poor man, Lazarus, uh, languishing at his gate. And this leads to two very distinct and stark destinies, two different destinations, First, Lazarus, he succumbs to his malnourishment, his chronically poor health. He dies, and we're given a picture of the angels, such a sweet picture of death, that the angels come to him and escort him uh, into the, the heavenly kingdom. He's escorted specifically to a place um, referred here in the ESV as Abraham's side. Other uh, versions might use Abraham's bosom. This was a common kind of Jewish metaphor that they had um, for this this kind of heavenly place where Father Abraham uh, went, where, uh, you know, the father of the faith who was in the very presence of God. So this is a Jewish way of speaking about um, this heavenly location as they await, it's kind of an interim location, as they wait the final resurrection of the dead. Like Lazarus, death also comes for the rich man. We learn that he is in Hades, Sometimes this seems to be just the New Testament uh, version of Sheol, um, this kind of Hebrew uh, 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 word used for the grave. But in the New Testament, Hades is only used to describe where the unbelieving uh, uh, persons uh, uh, go. And this clearly is a place of torment. Later, as uh, um, the rich man is describing his situation, you know, he wants um, Lazarus just to, you know, to dip his finger in water just to give him some relief from the agony which he describes as being in the flames. Now, we shouldn't look at this overly concretely because in this interim state, they wouldn't have a body. I mean, if you're thinking, you know, very concretely and, and literally, but that's not the point of the parable. The parable is simply saying, this is a place of misery. That's what it's communicating to us, of extreme misery. And this leads to then two prayers, uh, both of which are from the rich man. First, the, the rich man asked Father Abraham to have mercy on him by sending Lazarus to dip his finger in water to give his tongue some relief from his agony. And in response, Abraham tells him two important things. He communicates two important truths. First, that there is no mercy available for the rich man at this time. Uh, that the, at this point in their, in their being, there is only room for justice. 
And what Abraham goes on to show him is that this is a perfectly just situation given how the rich man lived only for himself. He lived as an unbeliever. He did not heed the words of Moses and the prophets, the scriptures. He lived for money. He lived for the pleasures of this world in the pride of life. He lived for himself and he had a very clear opportunity to help those that God especially cares about, the poor, uh, the crippled, the blind, and and the, the disabled. He was right there. And not only did he not you know, um, invite him in for, you know, to join him for a supper. He wouldn't even send a servant with the leftovers um, that were uh, remained on his table. He didn't care about the, the poor man's medical condition. This was the complete reverse of the good Samaritan. And so what we learn is once death comes, now is the time of justice. This is not a time for mercy. And secondly, we note that um, a second uh, point that's made here, and part of the reason why Abraham says Lazarus can't come to you, is there's this chasm, this, you know, this gap, this uncrossable canyon that um, separates us from you. And the point of that is to demonstrate, it's this warning that When we arrive at whatever destination um, uh, uh, that is appropriate that God has for us, at that point, it will be too late to change your mind. It will be too late to um, make a different uh, life choice. And because now there is an uncrossable gap uh, between these two locations. So having received a negative response from his first prayer, from his first request. The rich man makes a second request. He has five brothers. They also apparently are wealthy, and they are unbelieving. And at this point, they appear to be living in the same direction as the rich man, which is all about uh, their possessions and their money and, and their reputation. Will Abraham send Lazarus with a warning to them? The rich man wants his brothers to avoid his fate. He believes that if Lazarus is sent to them, something like, you know, either raised from the dead or a ghost from the dead, then his brothers will take heed. (laughs) Then they will listen. They will come to their senses. They will place their faith in the Lord. They will listen uh, to what the word of God has been teaching all along. But Abraham's response is that if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, it will do no good to send Lazarus from the dead because they won't believe him either. Now, we need to go back. What does he mean? They, they will not listen to Moses and the prophets. Well, by this time, Moses and the prophets, of course, are long dead. And so what he means by this phrase, will it not, you know, they, they have Moses and the prophets. They need to listen to them. Well, what he means is they have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of the prophets. That is, they have the scriptures. They have what we refer to as the Old Testament. They have their Bible. And if that's not good enough, what he's warning them is, then even a miracle will not be good enough for them either. 
if they reject these scriptures, that is uh, the rich man's brothers, showing that their hearts are unbelieving and hardened to the truth, then the point is, you know, whether it's a resurrected person or some other miracle, it will not uh, do any good. Now, what's interesting about this as well is that as Jesus' ministry continues on, he, in fact, raises a man by the very name Lazarus from the dead. And do you remember the response of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the other religious leaders? Well, their response is not only do they now want to kill Jesus because he's such a troublemaker, but now they want to kill Lazarus also because of Lazarus, people are believing the message of Jesus. It harkens right back to this parable. If your heart is hard, if it's unbelieving, it won't matter if God does the miracle. And then the greater miracle yet to come after his death, his crucifixion on the cross. On the third day, Jesus himself is raised from the dead in the flesh, in the body, appearing not only to the women and to his disciples, but to more than 500 individuals, 500 eyewitnesses. And nevertheless, the majority of the leadership continues in their unbelief, in their hardness of heart. And this serves as a warning for us as well. And and the warning is, we have enough right now. There are people today who's like, you know, yes, we have the scriptures. And we not only have Moses and the prophets, now we have Jesus and the apostles. We have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus explicitly telling us what will happen on the day of our death. And yet people say, well, what I really need, what I really want is for, you know, that hand that was in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, that just mysteriously appears and and writes on the wall, I am God, I am Jesus, believe me. That's what people say they need, they want. God says, I have given more than enough evidence, more than enough truth to serve as an adequate warning. The problem isn't the lack of evidence. The problem isn't the lack of proclamation or the lack of truth. The problem is your heart is hard. It won't matter even if I sent the hand writing on the wall. You would just think you were dreaming. You had something, something you ate is reacting badly. It was food poisoning. Maybe it's an angel or demon. You still would not believe. Well, what are we to take away from this parable? Well, the, the obvious takeaway is you don't want to be like the rich man. The rich man serves as a very good, bad example for us, okay? He's the person you do not want to be. You do not want to live like him. You do not want to end up in hell like the rich man. You do not want to set your heart on money and possessions and the pride of life, that, that, that pride of being someone important in this life. And we do have to be a little careful. The problem with the rich man is not that he is rich. 
Okay? The problem with the rich man is not that he is rich. There have been very many wealthy believers in the history of the church, including Father Abraham, who is part of the story, and the patriarchs, and Joseph of the Old Testament, and King David, among others. These were great men who God used in a mighty way for the sake of his kingdom. What matters is faith. What matters is having the faith of Abraham, believing the promises of God, especially as they lead and focus on the person of Jesus. The problem with the rich man is his unbelief, and it just simply flows into his life. It's his unbelief that's flowing into his perspective and his behavior. The problem is the way the rich man uses his wealth. For to whom much is given, Jesus tells us, much is required. The rich man is consumed by his wealth. He has turned his wealth into an idol. He's depending on it for his security and happiness. Elsewhere, Jesus warns us, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. For the rich man, the cares of this life have completely choked out whatever good seed was planted in his soul. The rich man serves as a warning for us. We live in modern-day America. We are the wealthiest people in the history of the, the planet, just generally speaking. And there's a great temptation then for us to be just consumed by the cares and the pleasures of this world. And what this leads to is we get so focused on the pleasures of this world that we give no thought to the world that is yet to come. Listen to this instruction from Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says this, As for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The rich man seems to have given little to no thought about the brevity of life. He doesn't seem to realize that one day he is going to die. And as a result, he's not thinking about eternity. He's not thinking about where his soul will end for all uh, eternity. And again... The rich man could be the story of many modern Americans today. How, how much do Americans give thought to their own demise, their own death? We will all, we're all going to die. Unless the Lord returns, we're all going to die. And when we die, we will end up in one of two places, either in heaven or hell. And yet we do everything within our control to avoid that thought to avoid that um, either-or reality. Today, you know, when we talk about heaven or hell, you know, it's so easy just to kind of 
pigeonhole this whole discussion into, oh, that's like Jonathan Edwards, <laughs> sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is all so Puritan, puritanical. But let me remind you, it's, this, is, this parable was not, did not originate with Jonathan Edwards. It did not even originate with the Apostle Paul. You might say, well, that's it, Paul. He was kind of a firebrand. No, this is Jesus, meek and loving Jesus. And yet, because it's true, it is the most loving thing to give us the truth before we meet that reality. Modern people do not want to think or be forced into an either-or category, especially when it comes to our eternal destiny. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis comments on how people avoid this either-or category, especially when it's related to heaven and hell, because it is such a stark choice. So he writes, This attempt is based on the belief that reality never presents us with an absolutely unavoidable either-or. That some way of embracing both alternatives can always be found. That's what we want to do. We want to live like hell now, but we still want to enter heaven then, later. We want, as C.S. Lewis says, some way of embracing both alternatives. We believe they can always be found without our being called on for a final and total rejection of anything, anything that we would like to retain. This belief I take to be a disastrous error. You cannot take all luggage with you on all journeys. We want it both ways. And the choice we need to make, the choice that Moses and the prophets, Jesus and the apostles set before us is to live in light of the future by seeking first the kingdom of God in the present. Now, again, one conclusion we need to steer clear of from this this parable is that the rich man went to hell because he was wealthy. Lazarus went to heaven because he was poor. But nowhere does the parable teach this to be the case. Indeed, part of Abraham's response is that the solution for the rich man's brothers was not that they should give away their their money, but that they should heed, that they should listen to, they should believe the words of Moses and the prophets. And the rich man knows he's able to penetrate the, the truth of this when he says, but unless someone from the dead returns, they will not repent. You see, repentance is the key. It's having the faith of Father Abraham. It's placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Seeking first the kingdom begins with receiving God's grace through faith, expressed through faith, Our salvation is not earned. It's not merited by our good deeds. If it were, if if we could earn our salvation by being good people, well, then there would be something to boast about. But the point is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him to be our Savior and our Lord, how will we want to live? 
Will we not also want to please this Savior, this Lord? Will we not want to love the people that Jesus especially uh, uh, had a heart for? And this means in part, you know, how do we know if the kingdom of God, if we're seeking first the kingdom? One, we're listening to the scriptures. Two, we share the faith of Father Abraham in the promises of God that ultimately focus on the Son of God and his death for us on the cross. Three, we're living in a manner that pleases God. We're storing up treasures in heaven by using our worldly resources in the present for the glory of God and for the good of others, especially those who throughout the the gospel of Luke are described as the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those, the widows and the orphans, those who are the least of these, at least as far as our society may be concerned. When we live with the kingdom in view, we are salt and we are light. And we are offering a clear alternative to the soul-sucking emptiness of the modern world. In the end, there are really only two kinds of people who will reach two very different destinations. You do not want to be like the rich man. He was only focused on the concerns of this world and this life. Rather, we need to listen to the word of God. We need to give thought about eternal matters and live now, making the kingdom of God our first priority. Well, let's pray. Lord, help us. There's a part of our hearts that is hard, that is unbelieving. Lord, like the the man that Jesus meets at the bottom of the mountains, we have faith. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, may you give us a passion to live uh, for Christ, to live in a way that pleases our King and to demonstrate the alternative reality of your kingdom in the world right now. And this requires wisdom, and it requires your grace. And so we ask for it boldly, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.